Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thanksgiving. I hope everyone had a nice, restful, and uh, restorative time, hopefully with family and friends. So today in our Sunday program, we just finished three periods of sitting, and then at the end, we'd like to bring to you some <clears throat> little bits of um, practice inquiry, some dharma to take in as a little food for the mind. In our way of practice, our focus is on zazen, is on the ceremonial seated meditation. Right, so we do three periods of seated meditation, and then just a brief talk at the end to provide you with a little food for thought. But again, our focus is on the sitting. But it's good to have this food to help you arrange in your mind uh, what, what it is we're, uh, we're up to when we sit. And just like we need some instruction on how to arrange our legs and hands and feet and posture in order to perform the ceremony of zazen, it's good to have a little instruction on how to arrange our thoughts and our minds as we perform the ceremony of zazen. And um, one of the renowned teachers who's provided us some of this instruction is uh, Kosho Uchiyama Roshi, who was born in around 1910 or so in Japan uh, and came of age 1920, 1930 and began his Zen practice in, in 1935, and eventually was the um, abbot of Antaiji in Japan, so a famous monastery. He was the student of Kodo Sawaki Roshi, who's also another famous uh, Zen Roshi or old teacher. And his lineage uh, was passed down, although um, Uchiyama Roshi never left Japan, his students did. So Shohaku Okamura is one of them here in, in the Midwest who has a practice center and many famous books. And then uh, we have an Austin connection as well where uh, one of the early practitioners uh, at uh, Austin Zen Center, Shoryu Bradley, uh, ended up training with Shohaku Okamura and opened a small mountain monastery in, in Arkansas. So I'm going to bring to you a little bit about from the just from the introduction on Uchiyama Roshi's most famous book, which is called Opening the Hand of Thought. And that looks like it's mirrored and backwards on him, but you get the idea. And he begins by discussing the uh, 
intellectual nature of Western civilization and how Buddhism is not that. Right, so while we describe in terms of themes and concepts and words, it's a different thing. He says, the Western civilization that's come to dominate the world that began in Greece and developed in post-Renaissance Europe is an intellectual civilization that defines and categorizes everything. But, after having organized everything intellectually, the people under the strongest influence of this civilization seem to be on the verge of suffocating. They have developed a great interest in the Eastern world, where they hope to find an unlimited depth that transcends this intellectual definition. This search is fine, but people's ideas about unlimited and transcendent are likely to be confused. And he spent a lot of his life's work um, trying to make plain what Zen practice was for people, which is why his writings are loved. He says, what I want for you, the reader, is that you understand with your own intellect that Zen concerns the true depth of life that is beyond the reach of the intellect. I want you to understand with your own intellect that Zen concerns the true depth of life that is beyond reach of the intellect. So right off the bat, he's telling us, we're gonna talk about this intellectually. I, that's what we do. Just be forewarned, you're not going to be able to nail it down that way. You're not going to be able to grasp it, right? Reduce it to some conceptual statement or process. This life is not Eastern or Western. It extends through all humanity. I hope that as you practice you will look at your own life with a completely fresh mind and apply what I have written to your everyday life. That is the only place where the real world of Zen is. Another important point. The only, the only place where the real world of Zen is, is in your everyday life. That may sound familiar. We say that a lot around here, right, in Joko's four practice principles, right, that everyday life is our teacher. He was very concerned with Chico or universal self or whole self, saying we live simultaneously as a personal self, an individual taken up with everyday affairs. Uh, and as a universal self that is inclusive of the entire universe. When I use the phrase universal self, I mean it in the sense of a self that is living the whole truth of life. 
trying to understand and live in terms of this reality has been the overarching theme of my life. And he goes on to describe his training and um, his education. He was highly educated, studying Eastern philosophy, Western philosophy as well, um, both Buddhism and Christianity, as he wanted to be able to um, explain to anyone he met, anyone he met. And he thought it was, was good to be well-versed in the, both cultures and traditions. Here's what he has to say on the completion of that study. By studying Western philosophy academically, you can pretty much learn what it's all about. But Buddhism is another matter. It's virtually impossible to make much sense of it if you don't actually practice it. So he's drawing a distinction there. Whereas Western philosophy is concerned with the conceptual and logical ideas, Buddhist philosophy is not, you're not able to understand unless you actually practice it. And so, that's how he began his practice, becoming a monk. Taking up the way of Zazen. He goes on describing two sides of a person who practices Zazen. One side is the personal self that is always being pulled to and fro by thoughts and desires. The other is the self that is sitting in Zazen, letting go of such thoughts. This is an ordinary person living out the universal self. The first side is like clouds. The second is like the wide sky that the clouds float in. So the first side is the personal, the individual, the busy person pulled in many directions by thoughts and desires. The other is the self that is sitting in Zazen letting go of such thoughts. The first is like clouds. The second is like the wide sky that the clouds float in. When we look up, we tend to think that clouds mount up high in the sky. But I read that if we draw an eight-inch circle to represent the Earth, if you draw a circle about that big to represent the Earth, the pencil line that you just drew is the thickness of the entire atmosphere. I was looking for Joel for confirmation. It sounds about right to me. <laughs> I don't know if uh, Uchiyama Roshi was much of an astronomer or not. But he says that's what he was told. So. so the pencil line is the thickness of the entire atmosphere. 
The clouds are just things floating here and there, appearing and disappearing within that thin space. In the same way, we are always covered with dark clouds of anxiety and sorrow, caught up in storms of anger and ambition, encounters with agony and despair. Here, the clouds and rain of our thoughts are only happening within a pencil-thin atmosphere. This mental weather is simply happening with our thoughts that seek satisfaction. Happening, I'm sorry, within our thoughts that seek satisfaction. Outside of that sphere, sphere of thoughts, the sky is always blue and the sun is always shining in it. When we can sit immovably like the encompassing sky, we can view and experience storms like pain and sorrow without being overwhelmed. Zazen. Zazen is precisely the posture of sitting in the sphere of absolute peace of mind that is like the big sky in which the many clouds of thoughts come and go. He's saying, you know, Zazen is the embodied enactment of that second self, of being the sky. Zazen is precisely the posture of sitting in the sphere of absolute peace of mind that is like the big sky. Many clouds of thoughts come and go. Other sutras talked about, talk about the sky being unstained by the contents. Zazen can hold it all. And then a little warning right in the next sentence, in case you try to jump ahead and come up with what Barry Magid calls a curative fantasy about what you're up to. No matter how much Zazen we do, Poor people do not become wealthy, and poverty does not become something easy to endure. No matter how sincerely we practice, hardship is hardship. But simultaneously, we are in absolute comfort like the unperturbed sky, and we do not need to think of our life in terms of difficulty and ease. Dogen says the Buddha way is leaping clear of the one and the many, leaping clear of the difficulty or ease. It's not on that plane. It's not on that plane of is this good or is this bad. It's in a different plane, a different direction. So instead, of trying to decide if it's difficult or easy, or where we are on that timeline. We sit down, we sit upright, we step off of it, we leap clear. 
walking the universal, walking the way of the universal self is what's called Utsudo, the Buddha way. It's enacting it. It's following the Buddha's path. I'll quote him again. This is the way I've been walking in my life. When people hear a phrase like Buddha Dharma or Buddha way, they may get the idea of something very special or holy, but they're just expressions that have been passed down through the ages to orient us. I've always believed that the spirit to cultivate this life of self is very similar to the early American pioneer or frontier spirit. The difference is that those pioneers penetrated the Western frontier in a spirit of staking private claim or possession of it. But this is not the attitude of one wishing to cultivate the frontier of the universal self. What is more, most crucial is to remember to pursue the way of the self selflessly, not for any profit. Because we are concretely, because we concretely are universal self, there's no particular value in talking about it. Yet, if we don't make every effort to manifest it, just knowing about it is useless. To concretize the eternal, that is the task before us. Even if we have a cup of cool, clean water sitting right in front of us, if we don't actually drink it, it won't slake our thirst. The expression of universal self is a practice that is internal, but to the extent that we don't walk it ourselves, it won't be realized. It won't be our path. So that's his introduction about why to practice sazen, what this practice is. What I hear from that is how it's not about our ideas of it. It's about sitting down and doing it and orienting our intention towards being that larger container, as Joko would say, about being this guy, about enacting an upright and dignified posture within everything that's happening right here, within all of that anger or fantasy or planning thoughts or, you know, insert your own habitual pattern here. If you don't know it yet, just sit a little longer, you'll figure it out. <clears throat> and this is what Uchiyama Roshi, this process is what he called opening the hand of thought. She's just letting them come and letting them go. Opening the hand of thought. There's no grasping there. 
Suzuki Roshi used to say the practice of Zazen was like being a host and you would open the front door and you would open the back door and you would sit down in immovable, immobile, you know, dignified, upright sitting and let any guest come in that wanted to come in. Anything that came in was welcome, but there was also a back door. So let them come and let them go. Just don't serve them tea. That's what he would say. Just don't serve them tea. Meaning, you don't invite them to stick around. You don't engage one way or the other. You just watch. Joko was very big on thought labeling, putting a small little one or two word label or phrase on the thought. Like, um, if you notice you're daydreaming, you could just say daydreaming in your head, planning, or remembering, or fighting. Because the act of putting that little label on the thought helped open that hand. It helped bring you out of identification with it and into the witnessing presence that saw it. In Uchiyama's language, we would say the only way you could label the thought was to be the sky and not the clouds. The cloud can't see the cloud. It just is it. Jishu Warner, one of his students says, Opening the hand of thought is the very act of zazen. It is the original Buddhist practice of not grasping and clinging. The practice of freedom as it occurs in this very moment in your mind. The practice of freedom as it occurs in this very moment in your mind. Uchiyama Roshi closes his preface, his introduction to the book, with this one sentence. May this, the actualization of our universal life, I misspoke, I started May this, the actualization of our universal self, be all our life work. So that's our bit of food, bit of zazen food for you this morning. How did that land? What do you think? We have time for some reflections or questions, if you like. Um, do we have someone operating as the online monitor to let everyone unmute or? Yes, I can do that. Thank you, Nancy.
yeah, you can raise your hand and um, yeah, Kim. Um, so peace of mind is really easy when everything's going well, isn't it? And um, when someone's knocking on your door, like the new variant of COVID, then it becomes more difficult. And I like the way it talked about the clouds somehow creating this peace of mind or it being from a, a different perspective than from uh, the self-centered one. And uh, I'm kind of associating that with something I've been thinking about where love is so different from liking because liking is you like this and you don't like that but love is is so much more universal and it seems that um you know it, it seems impossible to have peace of mind and then yet we can experience that even when things aren't the way we'd like them to be so anyway that's just stuff i've been thinking about but i was i liked his allusion to the clouds you know, like as you get farther away, you see things differently. Thank you. I really was struck by concretizing the internal. Really, I've been studying with a group about what is sewing Buddha's robe? And that phrase answers that question. Yes, John. Thank you, Todd. This has been very helpful because I've just been so unaware of the sky. <laughs> you too, huh? Yeah. It's very valuable. Thank you. What's the name of the book? Opening the Hand of Thought. seems complete. Thank you. I think Rosemary wants to say something. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Rosemary. Question about the, the pencil line circle. I, I didn't quite get it's it's you saying that's the thickness of the universe. I think that's what it was. It was if you if you were drawing the earth and you drew the earth as an eight inch wide or an eight inch diameter circle, then the pencil line that you made to draw that circle 
would represent the scale of the atmosphere, the entire atmosphere. Compared to the Earth, it's only that little much, that little bit, right? So all of the all of the weather that we see in clouds, wind, rain is only operating in a tiny fraction of the space. And so okay. he's using that analogy to draw that when you when your weather, you know, when the clouds of your thoughts and the winds of your emotions are blowing just remember while that seems like the whole universe you're only looking at a fraction of the space that's there so something about the solidity of oneself or within all of that stuff that's going on around us something like that the earth, the earth is the the earth is the sense of solidity, stability in relation I to I view it as um, a metaphor to remind <clears throat> us that while our thoughts and emotions seem like that's all there is, those thoughts and emotion emotions are currently happening in infinite space right there's a huge sky around them oh if, I see. if we if we've ever a practice that's um this is a handy little practice you can try sometime whenever you're in some in, a, in an environment where there's uh, you know kind of a wealth of sound cacophony of sound you know cocktail party traffic what have you try to try to look at the the negative space instead of the positive can you hear the silence in which the sound is happening and sometimes when you do that practice there will be a shift that happens where in your ears where all the noise is still there but now you're focused on the little gaps and silence underneath around and between them and to me this is a similar shift he's asking us to make can you be aware of where you are in that place in time as that thought's going by and then let go of it? It's like bringing the background forward. Yes, that's how I would say. Joel, you wanted to add something? Well, he also points to what the position of the sun. We may not see the sun because of a cloud overhead, but the sun is out there. Right. It has not stopped shining. Right. There's a there's a way in which the centrality, you know, the kind of maybe ego focus of the earth image also loses the fact that there's the infinite universe beyond and this you know the sun is our closest star. We lose track of that too. Right. Yes. So as if we're fixated on the clouds, if we're fixated on the small self, mm -hmm. you know, um, it can can very much appear like the black of night, like there is no sun, but that's not. That's just our perspective when we're when we're identified with the thought. That's opening the hand of thought. Yes, and then opening the hand of thought is releasing the grasp, seeing what comes next.
Yeah, I kind of had that same visual. I, I the, what was coming to my mind was that that little pencil line is all that the um, the intellectual self, the intellectual mind, sees as all of life. And while that is compartmentally true, it's such a thin, thin line. And when you view the sky without the clouds, it's somewhat infinite. So, um, you know, we can get caught up in just looking at that thin line of the atmosphere as everything. And while in a time and space dimension it is, there's so much more. Thank you. Oh, oh, okay. Thanks, Miran. Um... John, you want to say something, right? Yeah. I just want to say where I live, I sit and look at the clouds and really love to investigate them. But I'm now looking in, in a different way. What's beyond is totally different. Right, right. Over and over again, the teachers keep pointing us away from ourselves and more outward. Because our natural tendency is just to be more focused on little me and ourselves. Which of course is normal and very practical. And we need to do that to get from here to there. Just don't get confused by it. When we're confused by it, we lose our composure, as Suzuki Roshi says, and you're not you. When you're you, you'll find your composure, not be swayed. Thank you very much for your practice. <laughs> 